Welcome to Dave's Psychology Lectures from Algoma University. I'm Dave Broadbeck. The following lecture is from uh, Psychology 4006. Uh, it's a new one for everybody out there. Uh, History of Psychology. Hope you enjoy it. You left me lost in my own mind. Okay, so today we're going to talk about a little bit about the development of the treatment of psychological disorders and a lot about Freud. So that's hence the title, Tell Me About Your Childhood. Um, now, I think we all know that all of Freud, pretty much all the theory is crap. That's something we know, and that's the thing, and we can just. But it had an effect on psychology, so I think it. it, it, it if there's any sensible place to talk about this stuff, I think it is in this class. You have to like it. Um, you don't have to, there's, Freudian theory is exceedingly sexist, it's exceedingly unscientific, and it's almost certainly wrong. Right, so on a lot of levels, you don't have to like it. Um, like I said, it's misogynistic for today. In fact, though I think this is the best place to talk about it, I still don't know why we talk about it in intro, I don't know why we talk about it in personality, I think you should talk about it as a passing mention for 10 minutes, but that's just me. Um, it's not... How much time do you spend on alchemy in chemistry class? <laughs> not much, right? Alchemy was important in the development of the science of chemistry. That's true. But do you spend a week, two weeks, talking about failed attempts to turn lead into gold? No. Of course not. That would be stupid. But we do this in psychology. I don't understand why, but we do. You spend a lot of time on Lamarckism in biology. The first day when you talk in evolutionary biology, you probably mention it and say it's wrong and stupid and move on. Like I say here, it's awfully wrong and it's, it's awful and wrong and it's also awfully wrong. That was a quite a clever general phrase I said. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about early treatment of people with mentally ill, mentally, uh, mentally ill is fine. Anybody find that defensive or something? That's fine. They're sick. Sick people. Okay? Okay? Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Say enlightened because, well, it's partly the enlightenment, enlightenment before, you know, comes along. Basically what you do, you, first of all, first assumption is people that have a problem like uh, schizophrenia, or as they used to call it, dementia precox, which sounds better. Uh, well, I think I think that that's what is probably assume that they're possessed by some sort of spirit, and you know, burn them at the stake is a possibility. Probably witches, or eventually say, well, there's something wrong with them. Best thing to do is lock them in chains and put them in a prison-like situation, but almost you know, like a zoo where people could visit. And in fact, it was like that at the Bedlam, uh, Bethlehem, uh, in London. Uh, uh, hospital, which had a sort of psychiatric ward, if you want to call it that. That's where we get our term bedlam, because it was shortened to bedlam. You probably know that. So Pinal comes along. Uh, he's in France. Uh, so, so around the time of the French Revolution, so a lot of things are changing. First thing, he said, he toured around, and he said, you know, the stuff that I don't like, first of all, you, just, you don't just chain people up. That's not what you're supposed to do. So, don't chain them up. 
Don't put them in cages. You know, treat them like regular people. Um, in fact, and one of the things that he was really into is he said he thought a lot of this came from religion. He said, uh, a lot of this is because you know, you're forcing religion on these people. This isn't religion. The good, a good thing would be if, they, if we could just ignore all that and, and look at their moral qualities. These are good people. I've talked to them. They're actually really nice, reasonable, good people. They have a problem. Very modern notion. And he said, let's develop treatments that suit the individual. Now, are those treatments going to be stuff that probably would we call it evidence-based medicine? Well, no, that didn't exist then. But it's the beginning of a talking cure kind of idea. And again, this is around the time of the French Revolution, and the French Revolution is a pretty amazing thing. Like, it really, until it was usurped by a bunch of basically domestic terrorists, uh, it was an incredible thing uh, for them. In the history of Western thought, it's probably more important than the, than the American Revolution. It's about the rights of man. It's, it's about the rights of the individual. It's about, it is literally a revolution as far as even, we're going to change everything. We're going to rename the months. We're going to make everything was like, everything was, that was old was bad. That's not always a good moment, as it usually is in revolutions go bad. So it's like managing behavior. He's talking about, give them food. Feed them properly, not pig slop. And again, it's like, well, yeah, duh. Benjamin Rush, this is in the States, um, he had a different idea. He was a big supporter of the American Revolution. He said the big thing we wanted, it's a medical problem, so we're going to solve it with the best medical technology of today and bleed them. And that's not punishment, that's how people used to leave. you got to bleed yourself every so often. It's important to bleed. Now, his angle was people need more religion and they shouldn't drink. A lot of this is caused by a lack of God and uh, too much alcohol. I guess I'd be insane. Um, it's an interesting French versus American, you know, you can sort of see it that those are the two representatives. Though he did, he again, recognized that people were ill, that they weren't possessed by spirits. Jean-Yves um, was also in France, roughly at the same time. He was, <laughs> he's an interesting story. During the French Revolution and afterwards during the Napoleonic Wars, he's like, uh, gets drafted. Because they, France had become dominated, the, the citizen army, and it was a, a conscript army that was very well trained and took over most of Europe for a while. Um, so every able-bodied man gets drafted, and he gets drafted, and he's like, um, <laughs> he says, uh, I'm a doctor. He's not. He's totally lying. But he cons the French army into believing he's a doctor so he can not fight and he'd be behind life. How about he ends up assisting a doctor so he can actually learn a little medicine? And after the war, uh, he works a lot with deaf people and does a lot of really amazing work with deaf people. Like, they, that, People that were deaf or blind, they used to never have a future at all. And, and he was into the idea of, no, we've got to help you, uh, help you communicate. So, you know the story of the wild boy, Evelon, uh, Victor Evelon, you know, the, the little uh, wild child wolf boy? 
uh, he worked with him, and his idea was we're gonna, there's something smart going on in there we just can't get at. By the way, modern, the most common modern theory about this is there's no way he actually lived on his own in the woods since the time he was three or four. The pretty common idea now is he's probably an autistic kid that ran away from home. Almost certainly. Uh, pretty severely autistic, obviously, because uh, he's, he didn't speak at all. Uh, he never really learned to speak either. But again, <coughs> the idea of this kid had a shitty environment, this is what Gitana said, let's have better environments for mentally ill. That's nice. <coughs> so people start reforming these asylums that get set up. Uh, Dorothy Dix in the States, she basically tours in Maine. Um, and she tours all over the States just before uh, and just after the Civil War in the US. And she lobbies state legislatures. She lobbies state legislatures to set up real hospitals for people that are mentally ill, for people who are, have psychological disorders, whatever you want to determine it is. So ends up creating over time 47 different, which is pretty good, uh, mental hospitals. Clifford Beers. Um, Interesting character. He wrote about asylums because he ended up in one. He had a family. Him and all his brothers ended up dying in mental asylums. They were troubled people. But he was a smart guy too. So he, when he got out, one of the times he wrote a book, um, the mind that found itself, and he started what's called the mental hygiene movement. Today we call it mental health. You know the idea of the whole, you know. Like, Hashtag Bell Let's Talk, that kind of thing. The notion, the notion that we ought to care about our mental health, not just if we are in trouble, but all the time. He said, that's his idea. Okay. Now we're starting to get into the Freud kind of angle. Jean Chapeau uh, is actually the, some people call him the father of neurology, and certainly in France, he's the father of French neurology. Um, but to psychologists, he's known for looking at hysteria, right, which is things like paralysis that isn't caused by a lesion in the spinal column, basically, or blindness that isn't caused by either a defect in your eyes or a brain problem. It's a brain problem, it's just a lesion in your eyes. It's a little something. And he said, hypnosis, where I can get somebody to say they're blind, obviously that's the same, that's the same underlying thing. Hypnosis and hysteria are the same thing. So he said, don't use hypnosis on non-hysterics because you could create making hysteric. Um, so hypnosis, though, could be used to diagnose hysteria and then rule out people that were faking. So uh, this, is a, this is a classic, uh, it's a painting, not a photograph, of uh, Charcot putting on one of these incredible demonstrations 
um, where he, this is Blanche Whitman, who he's holding here. And she's the most hysterical of hysterics. Okay. She's a classic case. The queen of the hysterics, says that. Uh, and he put on these elaborate displays for medical students, showing the power of, of hypnosis. Okay, here comes Siggy. I don't know if you know, but Siggy, that he played guitar with Spiders from Mars. Good, somebody got that. I appreciate that. Um, it's from a song. Oh, Ziggy Stardust, David Bowie. Okay. It's okay. Okay. When I say Freudian myth, there is a... There's been a mythos built up about Sigmund Freud. There's two elements. First, that he was completely at odds with everyone else, that no one believed him. That he was fighting the good fight against all of the people. And no one else had ever thought about thinking about the unconscious. No one else had ever thought about sex as a motivator. No one else had ever, and that's crap. Like, it's just demonstrably false. And also, that it was completely original. That's maintained. These two things are maintained by a couple of things. First of all, a couple of times he destroys all his stuff. Yeah, he gets rid of all his papers. Does anything that says, oh, here's an idea I got from somebody else. I'm going to burn that one. And also he picks a biographer. He picks his own biographer. And if you're famous, you can do that. The authorized biographer. Right? So he picks a really low, loyal follower, John, uh, wrote the big, sort of, at the time, definitive biography of Sigmund Freud. And then you end up with The Art of the Deal by Donald Trump. Early on, he was in Vienna, you guys know the story. He really wanted a career in research. He, he was interested in that, but um, and, and, and he was in also, as it says here, you know, influenced by the materialistic zeitgeist. The idea that what we've got going now, we've got Darwinism, we've got um, science being able to explain most anything. His, his mentor was actually Ernst Brücke, who's a colleague of Helmholtz, and he also spent six months with Charcot, where he learns about hysteria and hypnosis. Spent some time with Brewer, does studies on hysteria, including, of course, the famous case of Anna O, who eventually ended up on Austrian stamp. So, good. Um, people say the Darwinian influence here is the irrationality of human behavior and everything being driven by sex. People say that. I guess that's okay. I'm not sure I buy that, because that seems to be like the straws and you're grasping at them. But, okay. He tried hypnosis for a while, didn't like it. Um, said it wasn't necessary because he develops the free association method. Why well, now just start talking. Just start talking. Because that's a way to the unconscious too. 
first he says hysteria is a re- result of he said the seduction hypothesis, the idea that it comes from sexual abuse. And then he realizes, so you're saying that all these women that have these psychological problems have all been sexually abused? And he's like, they can't all be, because there's that's, that's a little high incidence. Oh, I know, it's imagined sexual abuse. So and then he comes up with the idea of the Oedipus complex, and the idea that everything is motivated by sex. I think, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well today. I want to make sure I got this So, this is getting big in Europe. And of course, you're not really going to hit it big until you, you do a big American tour and you start selling t shirts and other merch in the States. So, first thing in the 20th century, we talked about this the other day. Um, well, first of all, Interpretation of Dreams, 1900, uh, a classic book. If you like to giggle at people being wrong. Um, Psychomythology of Everyday Life, Three Essays in Sexuality, Wit and, Rel- and Its Relation to the Unconscious. He's writing books. And here he is, and we talked about this already, at the, in 1909, at the uh, Clark University 20th Anniversary Symposium. He's one of those. So he's there, uh, along with a lot of other people, uh, including Carl Jung, did a bunch of lectures. This is where he actually gets noticed in the States among the academic psychologists. It gave him international recognition that he did not have before. Before that, he's a guy basically in Austria, 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 Hungary. Paul really liked them. Most American psychologists, because we've talked about these guys, kind of look at this and go, it seems a little weird. It doesn't seem backed by any kind of research. Remember, they're all in the introspection. I think about myself and I think, let's see. Let's see about how my mind works. Let's say the, chart, the, 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 the William James type. And you're thinking, okay, okay, introspection, here we go. I don't see me having sex with my mother anywhere. I don't want to kill my father, he's a pretty good guy. Right? So it doesn't fit with their, their methods. And, that's if you, and if you go and take the Titchener route, doesn't work, right? It's the source, the more, I guess we call it structuralist. No, it doesn't make any sense. And then functionally, it doesn't make any sense. What does that accomplish? And a lot of these guys are basically scientists, and they're, they say, nah, I don't think so. Though, um, it's, it is the case that, that uh, G. Stanley Hall liked him. thought it was pretty good. So his daughter, Anna, comes along and, and becomes a psychoanalyst as well. And World War I comes along. And World War I, of course, is a horrible, devastating war that wasn't horrible and devastating enough, so we did it again 20 years later. But it's a really nasty situation. It's... it's, 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 it's War on a level no one's ever seen before. And that's what Freud brings in the idea of uh, fanatos, the idea of also there's a death wish that's motivating people. 
we get after the war, and he's like, okay, I got it. See, it's interesting. He doesn't talk about the ego, the super ego, and the id right away. It's all just about Oedipus complex. He starts formalizing this in the, uh, just after the war. So he comes up with the idea of the id, the ego, the super ego, the stuff we all know about today. Talks about anxiety and defense mechanisms. Um, there's objective, he says there's objective neurotic, that you can be objectively neurotic, neurotic, uh, objective anxiety, more neurotic anxiety, moral anxiety. Objective anxiety is being afraid that you are going to get bitten by the dog that's there that's showing you its teeth. It's completely sensible. Anybody would be anxious. Objective anxiety is uh, you're on the Western Front and you hear the sergeant yell, gas, 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 and you put your gas mask on. Yeah, that's anybody who isn't anxious there. There's probably something wrong with them. Right? You should be. There's bullets whizzing by your head. That's kind of... You better react like that. You don't go, this is kind of cool. Um, this would be a great first-person shooter in 2016. Neurotic anxiety comes from it-driven stuff. Uh-oh, someone's going to find out. Uh, I constantly just think about wanting to have sex with every woman everywhere. And also some men in any hands. Oh. They're not let that happen. So I have a defense against Moral anxiety is I'm not good enough for society, the super ego driven stuff. I'm not a good son, I'm not a good father, I'm a horrible faculty member. These are getting really personal. I'll move on. Um, <laughs> so Anna Freud comes up with the idea of defense mechanisms. Again, the whole Freud mythos is that he comes up with all this all on like one afternoon in 1880. And that just isn't true. Which is fine. I think even if even he would tell you that, uh, and when you read Jones' biography, you can see that he, he doesn't say that. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't say that he came up with everything at once. But we have this idea as a, as a rule. There he is in his daughter. So there's things like repression and sublimation and projection and all these things. It's funny, we still use these expressions too. Repression is one. Not, projection happens. People say that all the time. Oh, you're projecting. And I want to look at them and go, that's not even a thing. That's not real. That's like saying, oh, you're floating in the air without aid of a flying device. That's not real. Oh, look, a dragon is breathing fire. People don't project. Now, sublimation is the only, quote, successful defense. That's, I think if I understand some of this whole Freudian thing correctly, I've not put a lot of cognitive architecture into this because it's like, like alchemy. Um, it's the idea that you have uh, some internal conflict and you resolve it by making stuff. Is that right? Like you become an artist, you become, you put it into your work, you put it into your family life. That's that sublimation, correct? Am I right? Just want to make sure I'm right. Yeah, okay, good. I learned this stuff a long time ago, at the time I realized it was crap. I'll just try to forget this after the test. I think this doesn't matter, you know. Uh, I was also taught to by someone, when I took personality, uh, the prophet just basically. Said, for some reason, we're covering this because it's in the book. 
And if you ever mentioned anything vaguely Freudian in his class, he would he would mock you. It's good. I liked him. Okay, so others, Freud's followers, Freud has this sort of institute in Vienna, and people come and they you get you get taught about the theory. You also go through psychoanalysis where you find that, of course, again, you want to kill your father and sleep with your And once you accept that, everything's fine. At first, everybody's loyal. It's like, this is Sigmund Freud. And then after a while, people, usually it's about the, the, the sex thing. People are like, yeah, it can't all be like that. Carl Jung's a pretty famous uh, dissenter. Um, he used word association. See, he comes up with that. That's not Freud. That's Carl Jung. And he, that's to get to the unconscious. Uh, he presented also at the, the Clark Conference we talked about. He, his, his school or system is called analytical psychology, and he talks about the collective unconscious. Okay, now people have said the collective unconscious, and you know the collective unconscious is. This is this idea that we have, that all humans have a, a consciousness, a collective unconscious that we share. Now, if you interpret that as in a Kantian kind of way, that we have certain internal concepts that all humans have. Then I buy it. Except, I don't think that's what he meant. I think it's what he meant to a point, but it's the idea of everybody's got... Why, why are you afraid of the snake the first time you see a snake you've never seen a snake before? Young would say... Collective unconscious. Because other people are? Pardon me? Like because other people are? Is that yeah, and all humans are. And it, it's a collective thing we have. That's kind of like the forms. It's, it's kind of like what, sir? The forms, like in philosophy. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much so. Yeah, I mean, it goes back. These are, this is classic ideas. This is Plato, right? Exactly. Very good. Call back. Paul. That's exactly right. I mean, people have been saying these things for a long time. But is it the same thing as our unconscious that Freud talks about? Because he's thinking of it more in that way. And I, you know, because he's thinking of them like they're memories. We wouldn't call them mem- memories, they might call them cognitive structures, we might, uh, forms, if you want to use platonic uh, terms. Uh, like I said, um, or, or, or modules or whatever. So it probably has some merit, but I think a lot of times what people do is they, they see these old guys and they try to fit their ideas into today's notions of things, and that isn't always useful because I don't think we can always do that. Of course, the idea that we have genetic memories, this is this whole notion, allows for the Assassin's Creed games, and so on for it. There he is. So it's not about your childhood, it's about does your current state, is it in conflict with the collective unconscious? Yeah. Yeah. Like Don Cherry's color. <laughs> I'd rather spend time with Carl Jung than Don Cherry, even though Carl Jung is dead. He also accepted, ex- sorry, accepted, yeah, experimental methods, as well as case studies. Freud was all on case studies. 
the thing that always struck me about this is, well, that's great. How are you going to do an experiment on the collective unconscious? I, I don't know. But he looked at other kinds of psychology and said, oh, this, this, this introspection is interesting, the structuralism is interesting, the functionalism is interesting. He was a really smart guy. He was in a prodigy. Right? Like I said, he's got a honorary degree from, um, from Clark when he was 34. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Horning starts out in Europe, moves to Brooklyn. Um, she's a psychoanalyst trained by Freud, but uh, later on, it's like, this is bullshit, man. <laughs> you know, saying that there's nothing really sensible about what Freud's saying. She says there's neurosis. Everybody's accept that because that's a, you know. <clears throat> Neurosis, we have no reality. One of my favorite all time quotes in, in, in uh, Woody Allen, who did a couple, one at the beginning of Love and Death, and he said, I shall walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I think I'll run through it. That sounds kind of scary. Um, and the other one is he says that he's going to a, 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 a don't psychoanalysis, a, a strict Freudian. Uh, I'm going four times a week. I should be cured by the early 2000s. The movies from like 1973. That's great. Eddie Hall. That's fine. I should watch that again soon. Damn, that's a funny movie. So, socioculture, in other words, what's going on around here? The, the idea of sexuality driving everything was something she didn't like. She also didn't like the idea of that Freud's view of women and penis envy. This is when it all, that's the probably even worse than the, than the, the Oedipus complex thing, which is weird, is the way he shoehorns women into it. Where it's like, okay, fine, that explains men. How do we explain women? Well, let's see. Women obviously want penises. Why? She did the same thing, though. Oh, yeah. She replaced penis and human Yeah. Oh, I know, it's crazy. She, you got one of the things about these people that are doing this. They're still Freudians. Or the neo Freudians are still Freudians. So they still have always some weird magical step they take. They can say sensible things. Don't say, yeah, yeah, that's okay. And then, oh yeah, we also have collective memories going back to the history of the universe. No. <laughs> that's crazy. And she's doing the same thing. Everybody's getting a little bit more reasonable, but they always have this one little bit of magic in what they say. And that's the thing about even the neo Freudians. And I, I got a lot of respect for her because of her saying, uh, that you know, psychoanalysis has a real sort of anti-woman angle to it. I think it's true. Um, she studied. She didn't call it feminist. She said feminine psychology. Today we say feminist, but feminine psychology. In other words, the interesting things that women experience that men don't. The unique things that, or, or things that are common that are psychological problems with women. Now. She said that gender differences were more a result of environmental context than biological deficits, uh, defects, but you know what? Uh, as we know today, that's a silly argument, nature nurture. But Freud was... Now, Freud never said it was all environmental or genetic, right? Most of it's toilet training, so that's got something to do with your uh, environment. 
She has a more flexible view of people, I think, is a, is a sensible thing to say about her. That people can change. Yeah, people can change. You're still having to go see her four times a week for an hour, and it still takes years for any progress to be made. Right? If you want a good example of what Freudian analysis will be like, if you watch The Sopranos, Dr. Melfi is a strict Freudian. Tony goes to sleep. And I think the reason they did that is because it would be funny. She talked about there being different kinds of, um, what's the, sources of anxiety. Um, compliance, aggression, and attachment. So, compliance is moving towards people. Aggression is moving in. Sorry. Attachment is moving towards people. Compliance is, 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 is moving. Yeah. <laughs> Compliance is moving towards. Aggression is moving against. And attachment is moving away. And that sounds kind of backwards, except that you realize that once you have good attachment, you can go do things on your own. The idea of the multiple selves I kind of like, and I think that's more of a social psychological idea, the idea that we are all in different, we all have different roles we play. I don't, when I get home and, well, when my family comes home and they say, what's for dinner? I don't start a lecture and help the presentation. That would be weird. I also don't tend to give Lectures, because again, it would seem weird. And I'm different around my mom than I am around my brother than I am around my wife. When I'm around my brother, it's basically no one can talk. As my brother once said, in our family, there are no uncomfortable pauses. There also aren't really a whole lot of comfortable ones either. <laughs> when Dan started teaching a few years ago, because he's Record producer, we teach the French psychology and music instruments program. All he said to me, This gig's easy, right? You just stand up there, tell them a couple things they don't know, and do jokes for an hour. I said, Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> you gotta figure it out. Way to go. And he won teaching awards and everything, so good for him. So, basic anxiety from childhood experience is still talking about the childhood. Not in the here and now. And you know that, again, if you've gone to therapy in, the, in modern times, You've probably gone to somebody who's in sort of cognitive behavioral therapy, and you know that there are childhood things that can affect you, but what they're telling you is, tell me about the here and now, not tell me about your childhood. No one cares. No one's... I went to therapy for a little while in Newfoundland, and the guy not once said, tell me about your childhood. He said, so what's going on? Why are you here? In other words, the here and now. Don't worry about the past. You can't change it. Don't worry about the future too much. It's not here yet. Worry about here and now and what you can do to make it better. No. Right? I told you guys that I went to therapy, right? And the first day, the guy says to me, uh, yeah, what do you do for a living? Psychologist. Looks at me. I said, don't worry. This will be easy. I believe you know what you're doing. You don't have to convince me of the efficacy of your, of your job. <clears throat> now fix me. I put my fist through walls all the time. Stop me from doing that. 
Did he fix it? Yeah. I'm a lot less aggressive and angry than I used to be. This is calm, Dave. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I really was. I was real peach to live with. Um, some conclusions about mental health, about Freud. Okay. I would give Freud one piece of credit. He's probably the first person that didn't see children as little tiny adults who were stupid. Because th- that's what everybody else... Think about Victorian times. Yeah. How were kids dressed? Like little tiny suits. As soon as they were their gowns, they were like, you know, they were little gowns until they're toddlers. And then when you, a boy who's two years old, he teaches the tie tie, and he wears a little suit. Or he goes to work somewhere, because he was old enough that way to work at a nickel smelter. Um, so adults are like, children are like stupid adults, though. You know, it's like the Homer Simpson thing. Uh, kids are stupid. If they, were, if they were smart, they'd be adults already. But that's how people view children. What did they used to do? What did they used to say, children are to be seen and not heard. So keep your mouth shut. People used to drug children to get them to sleep. You give them opium, picture of opium. Yeah, that's a thing, just do that, that'd be fun. And he's probably the first person that says, no, this is a psychologically different being than an adult. It's not just, and not just because it doesn't know anything about how our society works and basic facts about the world, the way a kid's mind works is different. Because they're an adult. Yeah. We all accept that, and then he's like, because they all want to sleep with their mom or they all want penises. He says, no, you lost me with the magic again. <laughs> um, the idea of the unconscious isn't new. It's not, a, uh, it's not a solely Freudian idea, but Freud gives a lot of prominence. I will give him that credit. He talked about sex people, and a lot of people, and this is because of the PR, so he's the first person to talk about sex, and that is a crock. That simply isn't true. So again, others did this, these things, but he really had good PR. You know, um, and that makes a big difference. And today, to this day, if you go out and ask the average person who does not, not taking a psychology class, who was the father of psychology? You've got one person who's D.F. Skinner, and you have 99 who say Sigmund Freud. Right? People don't have never heard of Wilhelm Wundt, right? Or Helmholtz, or or or, or Fechner, or Weber. They, they've they've heard of Freud. And again, in popular culture, you will see that uh, therapists are very often portrayed as being Freudians. Right, you think of Dr. Melfi on The Sopranos, think of Fraser on Fraser and on Cheers. He's a he's a Freudian, and his brother's an, uh, a Jungian. There aren't any of those anymore, right? They use the techniques. I guess we could maybe give him some credit for techniques. I have a friend who's a clinician, and she says that she has a couch in her office because people expect it. She does workshop ink block tests because people expect it, and she does word associations because people expect it. Because when she started out, there were two chairs and a table. It's Kleenex for the crying. And she said, people were like, well, what about the eight plus? No, that's all crap. We don't do eight plus. Really? It's not? Because then people think, oh, all well, psychology must be crap. So now she's like, she said, sometimes she'll start out sessions with new clients. And 
and say, okay, I'm going to say a word. And she's writing stuff down, but she's just writing down nothing. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Now, if the person constantly replied with, kill, murder, death, yeah, there's probably something going on there. But mostly people take it seriously. Right? Or the eight plots, people keep looking at them going, I see me killing the president. Uh, I think somebody would go, yeah, that's a little weird. But mostly people see nothing or ambiguous things. But she does it now because if she didn't, people would think she's not a professional. The idea of relaxing and talking about yourself, though, the talking cure. Again, we saw today that that is a little earlier. But at least uh, we, we can give him some credit there. But, you know, I'll say that Freudians made a lot of money out of a lot of people because they got people to come five days a week. That's maybe his greatest legacy is he made a lot of clinicians really, really wealthy. I don't like Freud much. Questions about Freud? But the stuff today, any of the Freud stuff or the...
for listening to the lecture um all of the audio is available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for da- uh, dr dave Brodbeck's uh, psychology lectures now going university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a sh- uh, uh, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to mash them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff or like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something. But if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me, and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music; they're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>